what does that say? That says that's a, that's that's a leadership report card if there ever was one, and it basically says we're not doing a good job. You know, we're 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 basically getting people to show up because they need a job, they need a paycheck, but that doesn't mean they're going to put their discretionary effort into it and put their heart into the work. They're going to do enough to to get by, and some people are doing. You know, they're they're actually. <laughs> trying to undermine things because they're so bitter. Why would you run an organization like that? Welcome to the Kingsley Grant Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you become the leader everyone loves and wants to follow. Kingsley believes his leadership paradigm, emotelligence, the art of succeeding where others failed, is the key to achieving this status. On this show, Kingsley guides you through the uncharted waters of emotional intelligence and leadership essentials, with the guarantee that upon exit, you will become more skilled in relationship management, decision-making, and job performance. Now here's your host, your coach, and your Sherpa, Kingsley Grant. Here we go, here we go, here we go. This is your boy, Kingsley Grant, sitting behind the Jamaican microphone, bringing you yet another show. And it is from the show that's been voted number three, on the top 15 podcasts on emotional intelligence by Feedspot. And so I am excited that you are listening to one of the top shows right now. And I'm in the command center of the Emotelligent Leadership Institute, where I'm going to dig into the vault and get today's show so that what you've come for, you will have. So let me reach in right here and get today's show. There it is. I got it. I got it. And put it down right here. And now we can dive into today's show. And on this episode, as you are very much aware, we are going to be talking with our guest, Mark Crowley, who is going to share some things that possibly is going to make you feel a bit uncomfortable. Nothing that is, you know, out of, say, out of the format of the show. Nothing that is, that would shock your your values, per se, or, you know, any of those kind of things. It's, it's, mean, it's more the idea of how leadership, when not done from the heart, can really be devastating. And he cites the statistics. He gives you the evidence-based approach, ideas of why. And what I like also about this episode, and you had a little teaser earlier, is that Mark puts the responsibility on the leader. And he talks about the importance also of relationships. Because some places... Some leadership is all about the bottom line, right? And, and they don't see the need to build relationships uh, or actually make better the relationships they have with their, their team. And so they will spend, if you look at the 80-20 rule, for example, they want to spend 20% with their people building relationships and all that nurturing and so on. And then the other 80% is based, is focused on tasks and, and projects and so on. Well, Mark is going to 
interrupt and disrupt and be like the Uber of the transportation industry in this episode. And that's all I want to say up front because I don't want to be a offer like a spoiler alert. I don't want to rain on his parade because this is his time where he's going to shine and you'll see for yourself. You'll hear for yourself. Now, that's enough. Before we get there, let me just say, if this is your first time with us, thank you for being here. I truly enjoy the fact that you chose to come here and spend some of your valuable time with us. Thank you so very much. Let this not be the first and only, but the first of many visits. Okay? If you have been here a number of times, you know that you're what this show is all about. Thank you so much for being consistent, for coming back time and time again to listen to the show. I cannot say enough how much I appreciate that. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing, for telling others, and for listening to this show. And lastly, if you don't know, like you probably, if this is your first time, you won't know this, but this show is being brought to you by Kingspire Communications. Kingspire Communication is a hub, the place that leaders will go to get consulting, coaching, training for both themselves and their team. And that's what many companies or organizations are into. And so if Kingspire Communication can be of service to you, please make sure you go to kingsleygrant.com and just avail yourself, connect with us, and let's see if we can schedule something for an upcoming event that you might be having or planning. Now, with that said, my friend, let me go right now into what you're here for, and that is to listen to Mark as he talks about heartfelt leadership and how that is the recipe. You will hear the emphatic part of Mark saying, it is the, and he makes no bounds about it, (laughs) recipe for higher engagement, retention, morale, production, productivity, all of those things you would hear. So with that said, my friend, would you put your hands together and help me welcome to the show, Mr. Mark Crowley. Thank you for joining me on the Kings of Grand Show, where emotional intelligence and leadership skills intersect. This show is designed for leaders who want to turn around toxic work environments, unleash the human potential, and get better results. Today, we have a special guest on the show. His name is Mark Crowley. And let me tell you a few things about Mark, and we'll fill in the rest as we go. Mark is an award-winning pioneer in heart-led leadership. He is a best-selling author of Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century, taught in nine American universities. Mark is a host of the acclaimed Lead from the Heart podcast with an audience in 136 countries and counting. 
As a global speaker, Mark has keynoted for Yahoo, A&E Network, the Young President's Organization, Grow Consultant, Shaw Communications, Washington Bankers Association, the executive leadership team of the U.S. Homeland Security Department, and scores of others. It's my pleasure to welcome Mark to the show. Mark, how are you doing today, sir? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me on. So, Mark, what is the state of the workplace today? How would you describe that? Uh, well, that's a very big question. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the big picture, Kingsley, is that we have so much despair in our workplaces and we don't realize how much harm the way we've traditionally led is causing to people. I'll give you an example. Um, I had a tweet this past weekend that simply said that Trader Joe's, which is a American retailer, um, grocery store, they made the decision because of the coronavirus that they would protect their part-time, all, all employees for all intents and purposes. If people get sick, they're going to pay their, um, their, their, their time away. And it had 34,000 likes, which is astonishing to me. And so you mm-hmm. say, well, why would people respond to something like that? Because so few organizations are willing to step up and say, we're going to take care of our people, whether they're full-time or part-time. Um, we're going to make sure that if our people get sick, that they're going to get paid time so they can stay away from our customers, they can stay home and get well, and then come back and do great work. And we don't think like that. We've traditionally thought that, you know, you give people time off and they're going to take advantage of it. They're going to, you know, they're going to abuse it or it's going to cost you too much and it's going to kill your business and your profitability. And so, you know, to answer where I am, I'm in this point of view that's just the opposite of that, which is to say that the more generous we are, the better we care for our people, the more people are likely to reciprocate and give back. And at the end of the day, an organization that cares enough to say, we don't want you coming into work sick. We don't want to obviously expose anybody who's sick to our customers. So customers trust Mm -hmm. you. People responded to this so positively because they're saying, I want to reward that customer. I want to reward that, that, that business. But they're also saying, I want to work there. These are the responses that I got. I got thousands of responses. It took me hours and hours to get through all of these. But the collective understanding is, is that most people aren't doing this, which is why people want to say thank you to this mm. organization for stepping up and doing something different. And so I I just see the world differently in terms of leadership, which is to say that the more we do for people, we actually get more in response. It's not the other way around. The more you squeeze people, the more you're going to make profit. It just doesn't work that way. Would you describe that kind of leadership, um, Mark, that has made the decision to go that way as far as Trader Joe's is concerned, that they would fit the profile of a heart leadership as you define it? Well, that's a very good question. I think, you know, start off with the customers. So do you want to go into a grocery store where people are sick, where you're buying your fruits and your vegetables and the things that you eat? So from a business standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world that they would do this. And yet 
there's plenty of restaurants and you know fast food organizations and other grocery stores that haven't made that decision. So it sounds so logical, but when people get in the room, they come out of their brain and they go, no, that's going to cost us too much and people are going to squeeze and take advantage of it and we can't afford to do it, so we're not going to do that. And I look at it from the other point of view, which is that people, we human beings are feeling organs, you know, that's a for, feeling organisms, if you will. I misstated that. What I mean to say is that feelings and emotions drive our behavior more than a rational thought. So if somebody, if you work there, let's just say you work at Trader Joe's and you're part time going to college. And you know that if you get sick, that your management has said to you, hey, if you get sick, we're going to take care of you. We're going to pay for you to, you know, to get well. We'll pay you whatever hours that you would have normally worked that week. Um, what does that make you feel? It makes you feel valued. It makes you feel you mattered. It makes you feel that they care about you. And then in response to that, what do you want to do for an organization that, that treats you that way? In my experience, you want to give back. You want to say, I'm going to do everything that I can to reward my company, to reward my manager, to reward the leadership of this organization for doing what I think is the best for me. That's mm -hmm. how most people work. Will some people take advantage of this? Yes. But you manage mm -hmm. that. People who you know exceed it, uh, at some point you have to deal with that. But in my experience, that's the minority. So if you understand that feelings and emotions, the heart, is really what drives people, then we should be making decisions um, aligned to what Trader Joe's just did, but really just in terms of how we treat people. That if we respect people more and we care about them and we want to make sure that they know that they're valued and appreciated and that they're growing, when you do these things, you're giving people the positive emotions and feelings that they need in order to thrive. Mm -hmm. And they're going to come to work and do great work. What what do you say, Mark? I think that, that was very well stated, and I believe, I agree. I, I advocate myself from a place of emotional intelligence that that is a, a way to go because it requires that kind of approach. But what do you say to that person who may be thinking about bottom line and metrics and how do you measure that? Because they're thinking, you know, the old school or the traditional way is like we want to see how you know your, your productivity, your performance, and they look at your output, right? And so this seemed to be, be a bit more of a, I would say, um, it's hard to measure from a, that mindset. How do you help a person or a leader who may not think or feel that or, or see leadership as such to kind of um, think this way? Well, I, I think it is measurable. Um, okay. So in, in other words, you're really looking to see, can I elevate performance from where it is today? Right. Okay. And so, you know, for the cynic in a, in a large enough organization, the best way to test this would be to take two teams that are performing fairly similarly, doing the same work. Right. So, for example, you take you take a business that has, you know, 100 different outlets, 100 different stores, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. And you put in one store, you, and you look at them and you say, okay, they're generating about the same revenue, same sales per person, those, you know, those kinds of metrics, right? Customer right. service scores are pretty similar. And then what you do is you specifically take one store and you put in a manager who advocates for their people, mm -hmm. who is who truly cares about people and wants the best for their people. 
and you don't do anything with the other store. And then just look at 90 days out, 120 days out, and see what the performance change is in the organization where you replaced it with a caring manager. I, I, it's, it's um, you know, the thing is, is that I understand this from an academic standpoint because I've spent the last 10 years researching it. Uh, one of the reasons I have my own podcast is just honestly to give me, uh, obviously in my audience too, exposure to people who are doing research that aligns to this thinking. So yeah. constantly there's new ideas that reinforce this. Um, but at the same time, it, it's, it's my own direct experience. I manage people successfully this way, very successfully in all levels of an organization. I had two national level positions in one of the largest financial institutions in the, in the country. And so I manage people who are fully commissioned. I manage people at the lowest levels, people, men and women, people with education and not education, it, sales positions and operations, you name it. And the response was the same. Every team that I ever had, their performance soared. And it was because people want to reciprocate to a manager who cares about them, who makes them feel safe, emotionally safe, intellectually safe, gives them opportunities to grow, make sure that they don't go home on a Friday night wondering whether their boss cares mm -hmm. about them, thinks they're doing mm -hmm. a good job. This mm -hmm. takes a lot of thoughtful effort. But managers who do this, they get better results. And so for anybody who's cynical, I'd just say do a pilot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's that really fits within uh, even in my own research when I do have been doing on emotional intelligence because that's it's a similar path of trying to change or reinvent how leadership leadership uh, is being done because I believe that when they approach it from a, a standpoint of people first and like you you, you describe heartfelt leadership people. The, recipro uh, the reciprocity from that is just really incredibly, you know, one that shows that throw all the numbers out, you know, like just highly, I believe, skyrocket all those different things. So I was, as I listen to you, Mark, I'm wondering, would this then be a step? So a, a company or an organization is experiencing toxicity where people are, you know, retention is just really just low, right? And you have performance is down and employee engagement is down like the the, the, the polls and the, the, uh, the um, studies have shown. Would this then approach you're describing be one way to begin to remove or uh, eliminate toxicity from a workplace? It's not one way. It's the way. If, okay. If you, if you have if, – if, seriously – why would you have toxicity in the workplace unless you had leaders that tolerated it, right? Mm. If, you, if, if managers in the organization are tolerating a toxic workplace, they're probably creating some of it, right? Mm -hmm. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So if you have a manager who does things that create distrust, disharmony, um, make people feel unsafe, make people feel unvalued, unrespected, disrespected, um, you're going to have a reaction, Mm -hmm. And people are going to become bitter and people are going to become angry and it's going to show in the way they interact with one another, how they how they treat each other. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you hire people who are aligned to a culture that says we don't want that. You know, we want collaboration and cooperation. We want people to mutually respect one another, to see that they're part of, you know, I, other people have used the word family. I don't necessarily call it a family, but uh, the idea of a family right. in the sense that, you know, if, if this is our lives, 
and we work with each other 10 hours a day, we, we should be like cultivating relationships and friendships and mutual trust. And when people work like that, work is good. Work is joyful. It's not toxic. So mm. I'm saying if you replace managers, and by the way, this isn't to suggest that you can't be driving high performance. It's not a trade-off. It's not mm. like we're going to go from a toxic environment to a caring environment and then have nobody meeting their goals. It's mm. actually the opposite. When you're supporting people and people do great work, um, they actually high, highly perform. And you can actually, when you're supporting people in the way that I'm describing, you can actually set the bar higher. People can actually, you can expect people to do more. So the returns on this are irrefutable. And I really think that if you see toxic organizations, toxic teams, uh, you have to point to the manager. You know, and I, 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 I agree because I believe people not only do more, they want to because they want you to win because you have done and show them you're also in it for them and you want them to win in their own area of expertise and skills and all those different things. But I wonder, though, Mark, if you don't get some kind of uh, pushback at some point, people might be thinking, well, if it's heart led leadership and you need to make some tough decision because there is that person who might be toxic, who may not be the manager and may need to be, you know, you've done everything possible and may need to be terminated. And how does a heart led leader make those tough decisions and tough call and um, without it not being seen as not being heart led? I know you're asking this question for your audience, not for yourself. Um, right. So th this is this is where heart-led leadership gets completely conflated with weak and soft sentimental management, right? That when you have a tough business decision, you go, oh, you know, let's just give him another week. I know he's stealing. I know he's he's creating dissension in the team, but let's just see if he can make it. It's like that. That's not smart, you know. So this isn't all heart. It's the, the thing that's missing in leadership is heart. There's simply no question. That's what people responded to with 34,000 people, you know, liking the tweet that said Trader Joe's cares about their people is really what it boils down to. So there's there's a desperation that people are feeling. Uh, but at the same time, you have to run your business. So there has to be the mind involved here. It's just that we make all of our decisions with the mind and we don't consult the heart. And that's what creates the problems. So I'm saying heart led to counterbalance what we've traditionally done, which is to keep the heart out because we think it's soft and weak. Mm -hmm. um, but when you have somebody who's cre creating dissension within a team, um, it's actually against the heart to mm. allow that person to continue because you're inherently doing a lot of harm to the people on the team, right? I mean, everybody mm -hmm. else is suffering. So where's the heart in that? So no, you got to oh. take action and you got to do it swiftly. You know, I, I like that uh, framing of it because I think that, you know, where that person was listening possibly may have that question and or even that um, cynicism, so to speak. But I, I like the way you framed that because I think that, you know, yes, right, if it's a heart-led culture even the uh, among themselves, peers to peer will say that is not a heart led behavior. And sometimes even they will self correct because it's like this is not what we do in this culture because that is not a heart led behavior. So I think that's really a very good point you're making. But you also make a very bold statement, Mark. You said employee engagement will never improve unless we reinvent leadership. Can I tell us a little bit more about what, no, you, I know the heart lady is part of that, but what do you really fully mean by that? 
Well, Shakespeare said past is prologue, which means all you have to do is look at history to see what you can likely expect going forward. And we know um, that employee engagement scores have slightly improved over the last six or seven years. And we obviously have had until you know recently a very thriving economy, people, more people working, pay's gone up a little bit. So it's not surprising. But when you look at the numbers, we're still sitting at about 65%, two-thirds of yeah. you know the American, and it's worse outside of America, yeah. but two, two-thirds of people are not engaged at work. What does that say? That says that's a, that's that's a leadership report card if there ever was one, and it basically says we're not doing a good job. You know, we're 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 basically getting people to show up because they need a job, they need a paycheck, but that doesn't mean they're going to put their discretionary effort into it and put their heart into the work. They're going to do enough to to get by, and some people are doing. You know, they're they're actually. <laughs> trying to undermine things because they're so bitter. Why would you run an organization like that? So my feeling is, is that if you have a 15-year history of, and by the way, organizations are talking about this. They're seeing the same evidence that I'm seeing. They you know, they know the numbers aren't good. They're saying we've got to elevate um, engagement. So how come it hasn't gone up if there's all this data and all this information? It's because, A, we haven't really made a sincere effort to fix it. Like, we're not really taking it that seriously. Um, And they don't know how. I think that's the big issue. It's not a survey that's going to do it. Now we've got computer monitoring where people you know, in large organizations are leaving at the end of the day and they're getting prompts saying, were you appreciated today? Did your manager thank you? Did you have too many meetings? And I'm like, it's not an electronic mm-hmm. monitoring that's going to change engagement. It's going to be the day-to-day experience that people have with their managers. So we're trying everything possible except for the thing that's going to solve it, which is to hire people that really want to you know advocate for other people that's where leadership will change and that's where engagement will change and we know this you know i think the the data supports that and like you've described and have kind of gone back and kind of uh, showed us and and I, i've you know on the show i discussed and talked about that a lot about why is it that employee engagement is down so much and even though yes yeah, some things have ticked up here and there but still overall like you mentioned two-thirds of the population in the united states is still you know um not as engaged as it could be and and should be but and i well, my point is that because there's something i believe toxic there and i think that toxicity has to be removed and I'm glad you mentioned that the way, and from your perspective, the way to do that is a, a approach from a heart-led, um, uh, from a heart-led approach, which I think is is so well well stated. So, Mark, we're kind of going towards the end, and you have really kind of shared on a number of things. But your book that you wrote, the Lead from the Heart: Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century. Um, what would you say that a person who's listening right here? What would you um, for one reason why they would need to pick up your book or should pick your book up, um, other than, of course, a great title and it's doing so well, right? And um, what would you say to that person that where this book could really help you to, to really um, transform your culture, uh, your work culture, into more of a, a heart-led one and get better results? You know, I think there's probably three things. One is that it it begins with um, well, the book itself. The preface is very deeply personal, uh, explains 
what my upbringing was, what my life experience was that influenced me to lead people this way and why this is essentially true for me, you know, deeply. So I, I know this to be fundamentally true because it's just been imbued in me my entire life and career. But the book itself um, explains why people are so unhappy, what, what's caused people to be this discontented at work. And then it gets into the science of the heart, which I think is the breakthrough of the book, which is to say that we've always believed that the heart was just, you know, a blood pump and circulating our blood and, you know, keeping us alive. But we now know that the heart actually has its own form of intelligence and that the heart and the mind are in constant communication and that the heart is sending signals to the brain, which influences our choices and our decisions. And that is profound information because if we understand that that's what's really driving us, then that means we can't make appeals to the head. We have to make appeals to the heart. We have to make mm -hmm. appeals in the way we behave, in the way that's going to influence people to have the positive experiences that we know translate into performance. And then once you get beyond an understanding of, okay, I agree, you know, we have to make this change. Then you have to say, well, what do I do? Well, what does it look like? And what are the behaviors that are going to make people feel this way? And that's what the second half of the book is. So it's pretty complete. You know, I, I really think that um, you, you have uh, tapped into a number of things, Mark, which I, I we only can scratch the surface, we could, which we could only do in a, in a, a podcast and interview like this. But I, I really like the fact that you have kind of um, – you know, so boldly, but not just boldly proclaiming something because you want to stir the pot here and there. But I think what you've done is really shown not only the science, but I think that the heart issue, you know, we, we talk about many times, uh, you know, with, even with my wife and she will sometimes want to know, you know, is, is my heart into something, you know, not my head. She want to know my head is in it, but is my heart into that? And I think that happens to so many different people. Is your heart there? And with my own kids, I would say, yes, you're doing that, but your heart is not there. And I know we're talking about efforts and all of that, but I believe there's something to be said about the heart, which you've described. You know, I listened to some of uh, this um, guy, his doctor was sharing years ago about, you know, he was research about the gut and the brain of the gut. And he talks about how that is really something that people need to, to pay attention to. And which I think is also kind of um, is related to the heart idea that the the brain of that is as as important as we have been so taught all the years about our head and our you know which is our intellect and so on. So I think you kind of raise that, and I'm glad you have done that. And I hope I I understood you correctly when I just made my statement just now. Well, I think what you're saying is, is the heart is our truth. And I think if all of us, there isn't anybody listening to this that can't go in and say, you know, that when my heart told me what to do, mm, when yeah. I trusted it, it paid off. And when I didn't, I paid a price yes. um, that we can't say that for the brain. You know, that's not to that's just true. diminish the brain. It's just to know that if you really need, you know. If you're about to marry somebody and you're unsure or you're about to take a job and you don't know whether or not it's the right one for you or, you know, any mm -hmm. major life decision, when you quiet yourself and you ask your heart to weigh in, um, you don't get misled. You know, those feelings are very powerful. If you have a powerful yeah. feeling saying something doesn't feel right about this decision, uh, trust it. That's the heart. <laughs> I love that. I love that, Mark. And you know, I I follow you a lot on Twitter, and I even the idea about the 
Trader Joe. I saw the tweet and I was in um, engaging that and I saw the different uh, responses. And I, of course, I retweeted that myself because I thought it was very profound that they are leading the way in that regards. And hopefully other companies will follow that as well. So and if you are as you're listening, if you want to follow Mark, I would encourage you to follow Mark on Twitter. And it's at Mark C. Crowley, C-R-O-W-L-E-Y. So at Mark C. Crowley on Twitter. And of course, his website is markccrowley.com. And if you want to email Mark, it's mark at markccrowley.com. And so you can really be uh, involved and follow what he's doing because he's doing some great work. And I and his, his podcast, which I think is, is has some great interview of people who are um, you know, working on these very same things as Mark mentioned, it's called Lead from the Heart. Lead from the Heart, and it's available on, on major all the major platforms that you would listen to um, your podcast on. So, Mark, I want to say thank you so very much for taking the time to be with us today and delivering such great value to our audience and really taking the time to kind of unpack for me to even understand a little bit more about heart-led leadership. And I, I'm right there with you because it fits so parallel to the work that I do. Well, you asked some really great questions, Kingsley, so you made it very easy. So thank you very much. Awesome. So with that said, Mark, thank you. And um, we'll be talking at some time very soon. And uh, my audience will truly appreciate you taking this time to deliver us. And from the Kings of Grand Show, I want to say a big thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Take care. And there you have it, my friend. Mark delivered, didn't he? You heard as he shared about the different facets of the workplace, leadership, the importance of engagement and increasing that and the way to do that. This might be something different from your thoughts and your the way that you've always viewed leadership and how to mobilize or motivate your people. So I, I, I hope that your takeaway, well, I'm, I won't tell you what your takeaway should be, but I would love to know what the most useful part of this ep- episode was for you. What did you hear that stood out the most for you? And what will you now do as a result of having heard Mark outlined for us such a framework that really and truly should make a difference in our workplace, but also in the area of detoxifying toxicity in the workplace, we kind of heard him also mention the recipe. How do you do that? And why it's so important for that to happen? So I, there's so many takeaways, and I hope you'll invite someone to listen. Maybe your boss or your boss boss. <laughs> Maybe your team. Or share this with someone else. I would really recommend that because others might need to hear and it could cause a conversation, a dialogue, maybe in your own work setting. You could have a conversation about this. How do you feel about heart-led leadership as Mark, through Mark's lens of how he sees that? What do you think? Is there something that culturally you could begin to implement that would create a more heartfelt culture? A number of things that you could do. So I would love to hear, Mark would love to hear what your thoughts are, were, what you've done. And so one of those places you can do that is Mark is very heavily using Twitter. And I mentioned earlier at Mark C. Crowley, C-R-O-W-L-E-Y. And when it's posted on Twitter, 
please go there, engage, let Mark know what your thoughts are. And he's also on other platforms as well. But that's one of the most, the platform he uses the most. And you can interact with him there as well, as well as myself. However, it will be posted on all the social media as platforms as well. And you can always engage there. Please let Mark know what your thoughts are. And if you have not yet gone to your platform where it gives you a chance that you're listening to this podcast on to give a rating and a review. Can I encourage you to take 45 seconds or 50 seconds the most and just leave a rating and review? It really helps the show and help it to be found by others who may not yet know about this gem hidden, right? Hidden away from them. So would you help me to get the word out? I truly would appreciate that. So thank you so much for for that. And now as we do, we've got to put the show back into the vault. So would you help me now as we go ahead and put the show back into the vault? Here we go. Here we go. There it is. Now that the show is safely tucked into the vault, I can say now I can exit the command center of the Immortelligent Leadership Institute. And remember this, my friend, you are one skill away, one skill away from your best hope. And hopefully you're brought back closer today with this episode. With that said, my friend, peace out. God bless. And I'll see you on the flip side. Yeah.